Amanda, remember that time a Russian princess became a Holocaust hero? Welcome to Remember That Time, an historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb. And this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about their favorite moments in history. And today we have a suggested topic from a listener. Oh, boy. So um, we're going to talk about Sofka Skipwith, um, which was suggested to us by Pendragoner on Twitter. Um, they Great actually- username great username. <laughs> yeah, they actually suggested it with her maiden name, but I'm going to refer to her more under the skip with name, so um, that's what we're putting in the title of the episode, uh, but yeah, so it, it was a good suggestion. I had never heard of this person before. Yeah, I know nothing about this person, so I'm very excited. Yeah, it was really interesting to read about, um, but before we get into it, would you like a drink update? Of course. Today I'm drinking a giant bottle of tangerine juice. <laughs> you sure are. It's like as big as my head. It not, absolutely is. Can not confirm. Not in width, just length. Height, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can confirm. Very tall. It's very good. I'm drinking water. And to be fair, my water bottle is also the height of my head. <laughs> That's true. That's but true there's something about, like, this much water is conceivable, but that much tangerine juice is, like, a lot of tangerine juice. Well, the I think the intention is that you would pour the juice into a glass. Yeah. But I live alone, and I'm the only person drinking it, so that seems like a waste to me. Fair. Time, energy, and, like, water in washing a dish I don't have to wash. Sure, sure, sure. So, giant bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you ready to talk about... Sofka. Yeah. Teach me a thing. Okay. So, she is born as Princess Sofia Dolgoruki, I think, (laughs) on October 23rd, 1907 in St. Petersburg, Russia. Oh boy, a Russian, our favorites. You know me. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Russian. (laughs) Da. (laughs) She is the only daughter of Prince Peter Dolgoruki and Countess Sophie Bobrinsky. That's a great name. <laughs> Bobrinsky. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you think of that character in Coraline. Bobinsky. Oh. oh yeah. There's mm-hmm. um there's a hockey player whose last name is Bobrovsky. And so I keep thinking I'm gonna say that instead because that's I, the name I'm used to. <laughs> I think our word association there really summarizes us as people. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're pretty much right. <laughs> Additionally, I'm wearing a hockey like sweatshirt today. Love so it. So here we are. Love it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how she, uh, like her parents, just a little, mostly her mom. Um, But first her father. So on her father's side, she is descended from Rurik, Prince of Novgorod. Um, I don't know anything else really about that. But (laughs) her paternal grandfather, Sandik, was Grand Marshal of the Imperial Court and Master of Ceremonies. So she's nobility, basically. On her mother's side, huh? What? I said quite the position, master of ceremonies. Yeah, I know, right? He's the MC of the court, literally. What a a wild job. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) 
On her mother's side, she's descended from Catherine the Great's illegitimate son, Count Bobrinsky. Interesting. And also from a foundling or an abandoned child who was probably the child of the czar's brother. Whoa. So that, a lot whoa. of this, <laughs> so that particularly comes from Sofka's autobiography. So a lot of this information is going to come either from her autobiography or the biography that her granddaughter wrote about her. So, you know, take it, you know, it's what she wrote about herself. This is the information we have. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. But like, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Connected so, 10 ways from Sunday. Wow. Wait till you hear about her mom. So, oh boy, her mother, Sophie, studies medicine, becomes a, a respected surgeon, <laughs> learns to fly in 1913 and is one of the first female bomber pilots. Oh is one of the God. only is the only female participant in a motor rally from St. Petersburg to Kiev in 1912 and also publishes satirical poetry under a pseudonym. Can we do an episode on her mom? <laughs> my God. That. Yeah, she, uh, a lot. That woman's my hero. Yeah, she did a whole bunch. Wow. Um. So her mom in 1916, after she returns from medical service um, in the Russian military, um, she comes back uh, with two St. George crosses. Wow. Also malaria. <laughs> Less good. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And after the October Revolution, she re-enters Bolshevik Russia and secures the release of her second husband from prison. (sighs) And then they um, move to Paris and she supports her second husband by driving a taxi. I want to be this woman's best friend. This is not even who the episode is about. But it is now. (laughs) A little bit. I mean, it's like it's important to know about her mom. Right. And... So her mom gives her daughter a diminutive version of her name, which is how she gets Sofka as, like, the nickname and the name okay. that she goes by. Um, so she's born Sophie, but I'm going to refer to her as Sofka from now on. Okay. Because it's what the name she's known by. So Sofka's parents actually divorce when she's four. Um, and she is mostly raised by her paternal grandmother and an English governess. Wow. So her mom's like doing big things and she's not even with her, really. Oh, well, clearly she was very busy. <laughs> yeah, she had a lot going on. Um, so when the Russian Revolution occurs, when it hits in Russia, Sofka's grandmother takes her to Crimea as a lady-in-waiting to the Dowager Empress Marie, who is wow. Nicholas II's mother, right? right? So she's leaving. Wow. And in 1919, they are evacuated with with the Empress to England. Wow. So she's actually mostly raised outside of Russia after that point. Mm, so she okay. spends some time in Bath, London, Rome, Budapest, um, and Nice, Paris, and Dieppe. I think I'm saying that right, which is also in France. Wow. Um, and her stepfather... Um, is actually in Budapest representing the Russian government there because the imperial government is, like, still recognized in Budapest. Oh. So she spends some time there with him. Okay. 
But while she's in London, Sofka attends Queen Col- Queen's College. Amazing. Queen's College is an independent school for girls ages like 11 through 18. And it has an adjoining prep school for girls aged 4 to 11. Um, it is. It was founded in 1848. And it's the first institution in the world to award academic qualifications to women. Yes, I'm familiar. It's a very cool place. So when she's there, she earns a school certificate, which I guess just means you did school. You did school. <laughs> and this is all we're allowed to give you at this time. It also, that doesn't mean anything. It's a, a certificate in school. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, that's what a degree is, I suppose. Well, in high school, I guess, like a high school degree is that. But like in college... You're awarded a degree based on, you know, the thing you studied. It's my school certificate. I have it here. (laughs) I don't even know where mine is. I mean, I just got mine, to be fair. Oh, yeah, you did. That's fair. (laughs) That is fair. Um, And while she's at Queen's College, she meets the Duke and Duchess of Hamilton. And uh, the Duchess is an animal rights activist. And we will come back to her shortly cool so far i'm fascinated by this woman what a life she's lived i know um in nice she studies at the lycee which is a famous school in france Mm -hmm. um and while she's in dieppe france she earns her qualification as a french and english shorthand typist wow um encouraged by her mother so her mother basically encourages her to to become a secretary so that she can get secretarial work right you know so at age 21 she becomes the secretary for the duchess of hamilton ah okay um and she speaks with her at events on behalf of the animal defense and anti-vivisection society huh um and also organizes the wedding of margaret and james drummond hay at which she is one of 12 bridesmaids in rainbow colors. Delightful. It's not important. I just liked that detail. Yes, I also like that detail. You know, I don't think of of animal rights work as being that old. In my head, it's like mm. a more modern um, Well, it's not that organization. long ago. Right. But still, like, to me, it was like, it came about when, like, the food industry started becoming terrible. Yeah. Um, so that's what I associate it with, but like, I, that's cool. There's probably, there probably is a very long and interesting history of animal yeah, rights work. I don't know like what the work would have entailed. Sure. And I'm sure it's different than how we think of it now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that just was very interesting to me. I'm sure the, the history of that is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. So in 1931, Sofka marries Leo that's a fun one Zinoviev great um, who is a Russian aristocrat whose family had fled during the revolution Um, Leo works as an engineer and Sofka works like intermediately as a secretary Um, but then during the great depression Leo loses his job and Sofka starts working less because she is carrying her first child oh well that's no good there's no money there then yeah, so they don't have a lot of money um, at this point. Isn't she a Russian princess? Why is she, she is, working but the, so much? 
Because the imperial imperial government oh, right. is not a thing anymore. Right. So all of the aristocrats have either fled or, you know, got right. had a worse outcome. <laughs> so she doesn't have any money. Right. Um, additionally, I don't know how much money her family had before that. Like, you know, aristocrats love to squander away their fortunes. It's true. So I don't actually know if they had a lot of money. Sure. Um, before they well, had to leave Russia. You know, her mom did have a, a good work ethic, I would say. So that's probably <laughs> yeah. just something she would have instilled in her anyway. Better than most. Yes. <laughs> that is true. Most aristocrats, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um... Sofka gives birth to a son, Peter. Classic. And she signs up with the Universal Aunts Temps Agency. Okay. Um, and through that agency, she begins working for Laurence Olivier and his wife, Jill Esmond. If you don't know who Laurence Olivier is, because you're young, uh, he was a very, very famous actor very yes. famous actor the name was familiar i knew he was an actor super famous actor. yes yes <laughs> so uh this next point i i really just wanted to include because it's gonna speak a lot to her character and how she and the path that she takes in her okay. life okay okay so this is a quote um i think the information, I forgot to note it here, but I think the information, like, mostly came from the biography her granddaughter wrote, but I can't remember exactly, so I'm sorry if I get that wrong. Um, but in 1933, after the birth of her first son, the couple both felt that the nursing home should be investigated for mistreatment of babies and failure to pay staff. So, she worked there as a bookkeeper until she had enough information to report the proprietor, who was sent to prison, the one nurse with nowhere to go, Sofka employed as a nanny. That is incredible. She was like, I don't think they're treating people very well. I'm going to be a spy. Yeah, She kinda. just decided to be a spy of her own accord. That's kind of her thing. Work. You'll find. Work. She. I love that. Very much believes in economic equality. Yes. It's a very big thing for her. Yes. Well, and again. Makes sense because of the way that her mom was as a person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so Sofka and Leo uh, don't stay together terribly long. They separate and then they divorce after the birth of their second son, Ian. And then in 1937, Sofka marries Gray Skipwith, who is the heir to a baronetcy which I hadn't heard of before, but apparently it's like a hereditary title awarded by the British crown. And a baronet is sort of the like lowest hereditary mm, title British okay. order, um, which I read <laughs> when I looked up the definition, it said with the status of a commoner, but able to use the prefix, sir. That's, that's the greatest. That's excellent. <laughs> So, you know, like, he had a little clout, but not really that much, I guess. Um, More name recognition than anything else. Right. Yeah. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. So after they get married, they actually live in the Olivier's house for a while in Chelsea. And here's another quote that I was like, why? Um, (laughs) It says, Olivier gave them as a wedding present a replica of his own then unusually large bed with appropriate sized linen and blankets. Huh. 
I don't understand why. Why? And then you're forever going to have to give them specially made. Well, just like linen and blankets because the bed is not normal size. Why? And why is it a replica of your own? Why, why not just like want... a bed that's that size? Why do you want to give someone? Do you know what? My bed is especially special. So I would like to give you. A person I bet who's you, not me, a replica of it. I bet you almost anything, like, one time, they, she was, like, cleaning nice or something yeah. in his room and went, nice bed. And he this said, nice. thank you. And then he remembered it forever. <laughs> I also wonder what they mean by unusually large. Probably just, like, he was rich, so his bed was kind of big. Well, you just, know? Like, like, is it what we would think of now as, like, a California king? Is that unusually I, large? I bet it's what we would think of now as a king. Because I think okay. Queen was probably standard, just based it's on, that. like, based on, like, double beds that I have seen from the past times. Well, they're in England also. Yeah, they're, so. those are a closer approximation to, they're probably a little smaller than a Queen. So I would so guess a double. that. And a, and a, yeah, yeah, I guess a double. And then I guess for them, an unlo- I would guess an unusually large would be, like, a king. It's funny. Yeah. We spent way too long on that. Yeah, we did. Well, <laughs> it has nothing weird. to do with the what story. What a weird detail. It is weird, but I had to include it because mm-hmm. it was just that weird. So, Sofka and Gray move to Cookham Dean. They decide to move out of London. Um, and they lease Dean Cottage up until about 1939, um, which is when Sofka's third son, Patrick, is born. And then they move to Paris. And they had set up a rental there and were supposed to be moving there like that September. But then they decided to spend the summer traveling with a troop of Cossacks camping with their dog at each stop. Okay. (laughs) And then the war breaks out, World War (laughs) II, and they can't move to Paris. Oh. Uh, And they had given up their lease at Dean Cottage. So instead, they pitch their tent on the public house lawn oh before God. they move before they then move back to Chelsea. That is wild. So we're, she was just like a nomad for a while. I assume her her other two sons were also living with her from her first marriage. I think so, but actually I couldn't really find anything. I don't about see that. why not. Yeah. <laughs> um one of her sons her oldest son has a Wikipedia page. Uh, the rest of them, I had to like dig for even their names. Wow. A little bit. Wow. Um, Interesting. Peter is the one that has a Wikipedia page. And he is actually still alive. Wow. Um, and he's 87. Wow. So I don't know, actually. Hmm. Interesting. So now World War II has broken out. Clearly. <laughs> um, her husband, Gray, joins the military. Sure. And Sofka starts becoming really worried about her mother um, because Sofka had been sending money to her mother mm. to help her survive at this point. She's a little older, and I don't know much more of the details, but I think she was just helping her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sofka ends up securing a visa through like connections that she has with important people mm-hmm. and she goes to paris um pays her mother and stepfather's rent for like six months she stays there for about a month and then she goes back 
Okay. And then in May of 1940, she decides to take another trip to Paris. And we all know what happens in May of 1940 in yep. Paris. She's trapped there because the Germans occupy it. Oh, man. So it's about to get real, real. That is wild. So apparently there's like a plan to get her smuggled out of the country. Uh-huh. But three days before that's supposed to happen, she's rounded up with other British nationals and she's sent to an internment camp. Oh, um, at Bessencon, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly because my pronunciation is not great. So then in May of 1941, she's transferred to, uh, Vittel or Vitel. I'm not sure. I think it's Vittel, um, with other, it's, so it's like a multinational camp. So it's not just British nationals. It's people from okay. all over the place. Right. And then in 1942, Sofka is informed that her husband's plane has been shot down and that he has died. Oh, no. So it's just like lots of things happening. Goodness. Um, but now we're going to talk a little bit about her internment while she's in a camp. Right. So during her internment, Sofka actually attempts many times to help people escape. Um, she's also in contact with the French resistance. So she smuggles messages, um, and like cigarettes and items from the Red Cross, like to the French resistance. Wow. And then in 1943, about 280 ish, I read a couple different numbers, but Mm -hmm. it was like somewhere between 280 and 260 and 280, something. Okay. Okay. Um, Polish Jews who are sent to Vittel, right? They're coming from Warsaw. They're sent to Vittel. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are holding Latin American passports or visas that were forged for them. Right. um, Through consulates in Switzerland. It's like a whole thing. Uh Uh-huh. So she, Solfka, writes out a list of their names on cigarette papers and sends them to the French Communist Party. Whoa. Um, in Geneva and also in Spain, or where they're kind of operating out of. And she tr- she basically tries to say, because they know that these this group of people are going to be transported, she's trying to give these people a heads up. Like, hey, they have fake passports, but like, you these are the people you could conceivably get out. Right. Pretend that their passports are w- real so they can get out. Right. Basically. So, I mean, the sad news is that most of them, the passports were not fooling anyone, mm-hmm. right? Um, but later she, she later in her life, she does find out that um, over, I read over 50, and I also read 60 somewhere, of the Polish Jews in Vitel had been taken off of the transport that mm. was supposed to go to Auschwitz. Oh, Wow. And were therefore saved because they knew their names. Wow. And they were able to get them off. That, so I mean, she couldn't change, she couldn't save all of them, but she saved a lot of them. That aspect of just like knowing people's names and having yeah. them written down somewhere in the hands of the right people saved so many lives. Like, mm-hmm. that's all that Schindler did. He just wrote right. people's names down and said, let them come work for me. Like, that, right. that one. Having people's names in sympathetic hands, like, saved so many people. 
Yeah, and she also uses her contacts along with like a friend of hers that's in the camp with her to get a lot of children out mm. of the camp because mm-hmm. um, she has contacts with the resistance movements, and so she feeds them the children's information and she she helps to get the children wow. out of the camp as well. I don't know how many. I didn't get a number on that. I can't believe she um, like it's it it's great that she got so many people out. I can't believe she couldn't get herself out. Yeah, but I think she also knew that she, well, we'll get to it in a second, actually. But she also was more focused on other people because, like, she knows she's not, she's not Jewish. Right, right. She's not in danger of going to a concentration camp. And if she is, she's not as much in danger of just being murdered, basically. That's true. That is true. So, you know, her focus is really on getting out the people who are in the most danger, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while she's interred, Sofka joins the Communist Party. Makes sense. Not really surprising. Yeah. And then in August of 1944, she she's able to get out to okay. go to England. And she actually had refused several opportunities early on because she was trying to protect the Poles who were in the camp. That, yeah, I had a feeling that that was her philosophy. Mm-hmm. Right. So here's another interesting fact. So when she's uh, leaving, she's on her way to Lisbon, or I'm sorry, Lisbon, because it's neutral. Mm-hmm. And she and her friend, who's getting out with her, are given special treatment by the Gestapo because the Gestapo misinterpret instructions from the camp commandant who told them to pay special attention to them. So they interpret that as, oh, treat them well. Uh-huh. And then they're recruited to go to Berlin to make propaganda broadcasts and they play along so that they can basically like get get there and get in with these people. Wow. I didn't read like I couldn't find what happened after that. <laughs> like there's a gap in what I could find in terms of like that point in her life and the next point in her that life. That's fascinating. So I don't know what happened, but it's just another example of her being like a secret spy. Mm-hmm. Of her own accord. Just Yeah. Just like, oh, I've been put in this situation. Congratulations. I'm now a spy. I've decided. I will now take you down. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good for her. So after she ends up eventually back in England, Mm -hmm. uh, Laurence Olivier hires uh, Sofka as secretary of the Old Vic Theater Company. Um, And after the war ends, she, like, travels with them. Mm -hmm. She... Play, they play to audiences of servicemen. She sees the ruins of Hamburg and the Bergen-Belsen concentration camps. So, like, wow. she goes and sees all of this stuff that she inevitably saved a lot of people from. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. She's one of those those rare people who didn't need to be in the situation she was in. Like, she was perfectly capable of getting out of it, but mm-hmm. she just made the decision to help people. She literally chose to stay in an internment camp so she could help get other people out. Not a lot of people did that. Not, Not a lot of people did that. Not a lot of, of rich Russian women did that. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess Russia was, and she did consider herself, like, first and foremost, a Russian. Mm-hmm. And Russia was, you know, not allied <laughs> with Germany. They were very much... I, you know, for all of Russia's flaws, mm-hmm. they've, they've and for very all the stuff that they saved, did during World War Two, right? Ooh. They very much saved a lot of Jewish people. Uh huh. Um, 
in this instance. Yes. Not so much others, but they Mm -hmm. did. They saved a lot of people during the Holocaust. And I think that she very much identified with that sentiment. national mm-hmm. like russian you know she's russian they, well and also she just like she's a good person like the proof from well, earlier in her part. life yeah from earlier in her, you know like that was clearly the kind of work she was gonna do when she decided to be a secret spy on this bad uh nursing facility right <laughs> right so then in 1946 sofka leaves the theater company because she wants to focus more on raising her son her youngest son mm-hmm um, and she starts devoting more of her time to the Communist Party. And she uh, joins sure. the British Communist Party. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, she started having potluck parties after the pubs closed <gasps> and calls them Sofka's Saturday Soups. Oh, my God. And I found this interesting. Uh, covertly using horse meat to solve the problem of meat rationing. She later publishes a cookbook called Eat Russian. (laughs) That is incredible. It's just like like fact after fact after fact about this woman. Best just going going to Sofka's Saturday Soups. Like, (laughs) oh my god. The only thing that would have made that better is if they were watching their soaps at Sofka's Saturday Soups. Oh, wow. That is so funny. And then in 1948, she's 40 years old. She returns to Paris with a letter of recommendation from Laurence Olivier. Of course. For whatever reason. Um, And her granddaughter uh, writes in her biography of Sofka that uh, Sofka goes and lives with the cousin who had been the one who was supposed to be getting her out of Paris Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it was occupied by the Germans. Um, she was thinking about starting a boarding house on the Riviera, but then she's hired to run something called Progressive Tours, which is a communist travel agency. Whoa. Um, which were aimed to, quote, create opportunities for the working people of Britain to meet the ordinary people of other countries. Huh. Surely the best way to overcome prejudice and intolerance to counter the threat of another war. Work. <laughs> it was a very, very progressive belief at the time. And also quite, quite communist. Quite <laughs> communist, yeah. Well, wor- working class communist belief. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Um, so I found this fact about the tour company interesting. Um, apparently it's tours to Eastern Europe uh were for several years the only to break the iron curtain huh and it was also the only branch of the communist party which made money that's really interesting yeah so she's a travel agent for a while and in february of 1957 she's the first western travel agent to enter communist albania wow which i just found another interesting fact so she travels a lot and then the cousin she had been living with had been suffering through debilitating headaches from a war injury. I read ahead. Yeah. He's given a lobotomy, oh, which is the God. worst possible thing. I hate it. <laughs> um, and then becomes, you know, basically incompetent because right. it's damaging the brain. Because they put a, an ice pick in their brain. Yeah, I don't want to talk about Ugh, it. Oh, it's the worst. 
And then, so she comes back from a trip to find that he has sold their cottage. Oh, no. Um, and bought two unheated stables. Oh, no. Um, and that is when she was like, I'm out. Um, and apparently resorted to living in trains during the late 50s. Whoa. Uh, when and when she wasn't because she was touring, right? So she would just like basically live on the trains, and then she would live like with friends when she wasn't. Touring. You know, for like a tour guide, that is a more practical, better than living way in a stable. Live. Oh yeah, but I mean, like, just if you're not yeah. at home and you're not paying to be at home, and most of the time you're living where you work, might as well mm-hmm. stay with friends when you're not touring. Like it, it right. makes sense. Um, on one of her tours throughout the USSR, because it's now the USSR, mm-hmm. not Russia, um, she meets a trades unionist who then becomes like her partner through the hmm. rest of, I couldn't find the name anywhere. Huh. Um, but, uh, they move back to London together. They get a house. Uh, her youngest son actually buys the house for them. Hmm. Um, and then they use some of his savings to buy like a cottage basically oh nice um and then they both just kind of prefer like a quiet retirement she quits the tour the touring company and um i read i can't remember where it was but i read that they like if they had visitors they would like make them stay basically outside and they had a time (laughs) that they had to leave like they were like and we're done socializing now thank you so much that's fantastic yeah um, Sofka actually also starts like distancing herself from the Communist Party a little bit as she gets older. Probably a good call at this point. Uh... Although she continues to support the Soviets, okay, um, sure, and wanted to return to the USSR one day, but she didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and in her sort of last years, she starts becoming really preoccupied with the Holocaust mm-hmm. and like pushes books about it on her friends, like makes them all read about it and stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, she's also an advocate of birth control. Fantastic. I'm going to do, <laughs> by the way, I'm going to do an episode on birth control sometime. Because I saw it on our history list. is fascinating. That's just an yes. aside. Well, she recommends the cap, quote unquote, which is a form of uh, birth control, to, this says, to embarrassed visitors <laughs> and assisting French women in coming to England to be fitted for them by a friend who was a doctor. Amazing. Um, so Safka dies of heart failure in February of 1994, wow, she lived which is a long two life. years after I was born. Yeah, she lived a long life. Yeah. Um, and in 1985, she had actually received a letter from Yad Vashem, which mm-hmm. is Israel's official memorial to the victims of the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it in the uh, Schindler episode a yes, little bit. Yeah. Um, indicating that she's being considered for the that award of Righteous Among the Nations. Mm-hmm. Um, but she isn't given the award until after her death, and she, but she is awarded it in 1998, which is the year you were born. Yeah. Wow. And also in March of 2010, she's one of 27 people to receive the special United Kingdom honor of British Hero of the Holocaust. Wow. And I think... I think only her and, like, one other person received it um, after their deaths, if wow. I remember correctly. I mean, she deserved it. She did. It's amazing. So that was a shorter one for me. But, yes, um, a much shorter one for you. There's a lot less information um, about her than some of Just the Just available covered, in but, the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she was really interesting. I It's just, like, stuff I never knew. Yeah. 
Um, That's cool. I love learning about people like her. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many stories of people who did that kind of stuff in the Holocaust, just like... Plus, she was a Russian princess. Yeah, all those that's things, the thing about it. That's the thing about it is that everything else about her story is like I have heard similar stories of people, uh-huh. uh, you know, like middle class pe- mm-hmm. English French people who were in these situations, got into a camp for whatever reason, and then used their privilege to help save people. I've heard that. But story she before. really, really used her privilege. But she, she had a lot more privilege than most. And she was born a Russian princess. Yeah. But then just like lived most of her life in England just like working like a normal person. That is yeah. wild. And, and a communist. And I, I know that that's like that happened to a lot of Russians, right? Like yeah. that happened to a lot of people. But like I don't ever think about it. How all of those like royals and aristocrats just like went on to just like live normal lives and i also think it's like hard to remember that um the aristocracy in russia ended like right before basically right before yeah. world war ii yeah. those two are so close together in terms of the timeline of history mm-hmm. um i mean you know it was like a couple decades a few decades but mm-hmm. it, it feels it closer to world decades. war one wouldn't it have been uh, yeah it's just right in between but yeah. like all of those people who went through the Russian Revolution then also went through World War II right after right. that. Right. And it's just so, so interesting. And they're, like, I could do, talk a lot about, like, how much the country of Russia was changing and they were becoming the USSR while mm-hmm. they were simultaneously fighting against Germany in World mm-hmm. War II. And it's just, like, this weird, crazy contradiction. Yeah. And, like, ugh. Uh, that's a lot. Strange. But, it's strange. But, you know, you think about all those people who are raised to be, like, Russian nat- nationalist. Like, there's this very deep-seated mm-hmm. love of the country. And then, basically, they're forced out of the country. And mm-hmm. then s- most of them it- stuck in Europe during World War yeah. II. Like, now what do we do? Like, well, and, it's just wild uh, And the other about. thing is, a lot of those people who have s- stories similar to her were British nationalists or yeah. French nationalists or uh-huh, any uh-huh. anything, you know. But she just happened to be a Russian nationalist. In Living in Britain. England, who was in a position to, like, save lives. And that is yeah. just weird. It's very interesting. And mm-hmm. I'm sure she's not the only one. It's just strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious to know how many other Russian aristocrats of that time followed a similar path and how many went just like the other direction. Yeah. Um, Cause that's fascinating to me as well. Yeah. But she's cool. I liked that. Really she's interesting. really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to have to like buy those books. Cause I just read like snippets that I could find online, uh-huh. but I think I'm going to have to buy like the biography and the autobiography and yeah. like, read more in depth about her. Um, I would have done that pr- prior to doing this episode, but, like, I haven't thought about buying books in so long because I just have to – I just, like, haven't thought about buying anything except for food in so long because we're in quarantine. It's, like, the only thing I can think about. Right. It's, like, food right, and right, toilet right. paper. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> when I decided I wanted to do this, I was like, oh, I might have to wait if I wanted to order those books for, like, a few weeks. And by then I'm going to, like, forget. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I just decided to go Well, maybe one it. day we'll do a bonus episode with some – an updated episode. Yeah, filling in some gaps or something. Yeah. That's so, like, cool. sorry if I got anything wrong. This was my first time reading about her. Um, if you know more about her, I would love to hear it. But um, yeah, it's really fun. 
I yeah, like she was interesting. About her. Cool and story. thank you to Pendragoner for the suggestion because I'm, I'm glad I was able to read about yeah. about her. Um, so if anybody else has suggestions for topics, we would love to hear them. We actually got a few like over the past week or two. So we've added them to the list. I'm not sure when we'll get to them, but they're on the list if you've sent us suggestions. Um, if you want to send us more, you can send them to rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at RTTPod or else on Facebook. Just search the name of the podcast. We will pop up. Um, And if you want to give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, that would be great. Um, You can find me all over the internet at The Real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Woo! Woo! I don't know what I'm doing next time. Yeah, well, that's typical. Will this episode be on time next week? Who knows? Hopefully. It's shorter. It will take me less time to edit. That is is (laughs) promising. I think Amanda hates editing my episodes because they're always so long. So long. That's okay. (laughs) Mine last week was eternal. Um, Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Well, no idea what's going to be next, but uh, until next time. Remember that time. Remember that time.